she's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. And I'm Jonathan. And it has been a minute. Yeah. It. I feel a little bit rusty, to be honest. We had a busy summer, tennis-wise, for us. We did. And I think we, all of us, earned a, a, a deserved break after the Grand Slam season ended. Unless you're a tennis player and you have to fly halfway across the world to China and Tokyo. Right. <laughs> or if you're very rich... And very highly ranked. You don't have to do that if you don't want to. (laughs) This is episode 56. Really? Yeah. How many Super Bowls have there been? I don't know. Like 40 something. So suck on that Super Bowl. We have more. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) You remember like who's going to be performing on our halftime show? Uh, well, we haven't booked anyone yet. Are you sure? Wow. I feel like that that would be the person to perform on our halftime show. Iconic. 15-year-old Rihanna. Iconic. Giving 2% Mariah realness. (laughs) (laughs) Even that is generous. (laughs) Can we talk about young children using the word iconic as if they know what it means? Mm -hmm. We talk about how epic is really overused in tennis. Iconic as well for sports stars. Just in, in like, popular culture. I know, know, as you say, in popular culture, it's everywhere. Yeah. Apparently, I heard that the the Jenner girls are iconic. Did you see that Mm. Twitter thing going around? It was an unfortunate tweet that became a joke. And someone says, name a more iconic duo. And it was Kylie and whatever. Oh, I see. I saw saw Venus and Serena in that hashtag. I didn't know where it originated from. And like, first of all, I wasn't really sure who it was at first. But then Kendall still looks like remotely like a white person. So I figured out, oh, that must be her sister that got all that surgery to look like a black girl. (laughs) I mean, those two aren't even Armenian. So like, I don't know where they're going. They are white, white, white. Um, It's really it's really messed up. I don't know them. I pay them no mind. <laughs> I couldn't pick them out of a lineup. So speaking of things that we don't like, mm. we've been meaning to talk about this on the show because we see it a lot on Twitter. What? This whole cis fam thing. Oh, are we really going to go there? We are going to go there because we're going to be talking about race a little bit on this episode. So okay. why not? Okay. You had lots to say, so say it. Yeah, but like I just don't feel like being mean. And also, for this once. is this is your white guilt coming in again, where you feel like you don't really have the place to say it because you be white. <laughs> is that what's going on? Well, okay. I guess I I just I'm not gonna be out here calling people cis and fam because I think it's really it's just not my thing. However, I'm probably opening up 
the possibility of someone coming for me for appropriating other pieces of black culture, you know? Sure. So I, I get it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to go too hard because I may be guilty of the same thing. It's the overuse though, right? That's mm. really what becomes annoying and veering into problematic. Right? Okay. Mm. Where it's just casually like, yes, it's sis. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, how many times I say girl all the time, you know, like girl. Mm-hmm. Like, no, well, who is this femme that you, that you speak of? I don't, for the longest time, I thought it was a Toronto thing. Really? Yeah, really. Like, I thought it was a black Toronto thing, but mm-hmm. apparently it's not. We've been up here in the north, okay? We're like secluded, so. <laughs> the The deeper issue, I guess, is folks using these things and not knowing where they come from. Like, mm. just this week at work, this young thing was calling me hunty. I'm like, girl, <laughs> do you know where that comes from? What that means? She's like, I don't know. My friend said it and it sounded cute. So I'm like, hunty. And I'm like, okay, how about you go home, do your research, and know your history mm. before you start calling every Tom, Dick, and Harry hunty. Like, right. it's just not a cute look. Like, don't call your granny hunty. It's not enough to think it sounds cute to say it. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Maybe it... it's just another sign of us being really old. It rhymes with punt for a reason. <laughs> that's that's where it comes from, growl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and what's worse, when you even explain it, and it's just like, uh, I don't really get it. Like, exactly. That's why you should not be using it. But, you know, I'm taking a chill pill because I am the bitchy Jamaican one on the podcast, as I've come oh to learn. Oh my god, yes. Okay, we got... I don't want to brag, but it was our first negative review. It wasn't even bad. It was still three stars on iTunes. That is a 60. That is really (laughs) bad. I don't get 60s. Uh, So somebody said we were entertaining but too bitchy and bias. I'll I'll help you out. The word is actually biased with an ED. But also, we are biased. How is that for bitchy? Yeah, we and we own the biases. I will say... And we embrace it. You were the bitchier one, according to this reviewer. Which surprised Which me, I also, because I thought I was reining it in for... I've actually made a conscious effort to rein in the bitchiness a little bit. You've been going off. Interesting. For a while. <laughs> you, thought, you thought you were reining it in. Yeah, well, maybe I mis- maybe I misguided. Well, according to that one Australian reviewer, honestly, it made me laugh so hard. I like, I'm not, I'm not looking for pity here. No. I thought it was hilarious. I ain't even mad. And but, however, I did object to the word bitchy because I, I want to go. I always go there. I always go there with like, what are you homophobic or something? Do you remember that from oh. Orange Is the New Black? <laughs> oh no! I was like, where is this accent coming from? <laughs> when like, am I gonna have to read a bitch right now? Oh my god, <laughs> no. When uh, when the Latin girls asked what's his face from how to get how to get away with murder oh. to bring them gay porn on his iPod, he said no. And uh, what's her name? Flaca said, "What are you homophobic or something?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of the best lines in TV history. We'll take this opportunity to solicit more reviews on iTunes, mm-hmm. <laughs> and thanks to whoever that was for the. For the review, we take everything very seriously. I thank you for the downloads, honey. Mm-hmm. Let's kick this show off with 
the big tennis news right now. It's been a while, and so we'll do a rundown of some of the stuff we haven't covered mm-hmm. in our absence. But at the top of this show, we're going to give you some Petra Kvitova. Because she has decided that she came to slay, bitch. <laughs> she came to Wuhan on a mission, apparently. And, I mean, what a run she had this week. You know, this is a big tournament, smaller draws, but you look at who she beat, and it's a Grand Slam run. Really. In the span of seven days. Or less for her. Mm. So because of her seeding, she did not have a first round bye, so she beat Ostapenko, then beat Svitolina, and then had to play the Kerber. Serena Slayer. Right. And then had to play Kerber very early in the tournament. You know, in the round of 16, basically. I believe they played at the U.S. Open at the same stage, too, if I recall. I think that's correct. Okay. And we know Kerber won that match. Right. And uh, Petra came back and won this one in three sets. It was her only three-set match of the week. Because after that match, she went on to put her foot on the pedal. Right. <laughs> and raced to the finish line. And, I mean, another close match against Kanta. Mm-hmm. I think, like, 7-5, seven, 7-6. Seven, mm-hmm. But, you know, some people were calling the kerber a match the women's match of the year. Especially the very dramatic first set, which ended in a 12-10 tiebreak. When Petra is on, she is such an explosive and exciting player to watch. And especially in such a contrast of styles against Kerber. She blitzed Halep in the semifinals. And then poor Dominika Sibulkova. Sibylkova, what did I just do there? I don't know. I don't know. You just put an accent wherever you wanted. (laughs) (laughs) She got turned out in that final Mm. 6-1-6-1. Dummies had a really rough week. A great week making Mm. the final of this tournament. Wonderful result. But she had to put in some miles to get there. In one round, one day she had to win two matches to advance. Right. So... There was a a difference in the number of hours on court between the two in that final. Yes, and Halep had to do the same thing, Mm -hmm. right? She won two matches in a day. And Sibulkova, I believe this is her fifth final of the year. You have that written down. Yeah. I I haven't found that. Well, I went through and counted, but I didn't, you know, double check. (laughs) (laughs) But she's had a really amazing year. And she's ranked 12 right now. She's back in the top 10. That's going to go up. Okay. Where is, do you know where Petra's going to go? I believe Petra is 11 or 12. Oh my, even oh, from after 15, winning? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> there was, you know, some refreshing candor from Petra in press as well, talking about how, you know, she doesn't think she's ever going to be a very consistent player, that she's just accepted that that's not her. that a lot of her lows are going to be very low and sometimes she'll come into a tournament and just kind of blitz the draw she worked with Wimfaset in tokyo and then he wasn't with her in wuhan and she had said it was on a trial basis so Mm. nobody knew if that trial basis had ended if he was still coming back if she had made her decision she didn't have him this weekend she didn't need him apparently maybe she gleaned all she needed to from last (laughs) week i don't know right But Petra was Petra this week, in all the right ways. I mean, Petra is a riddle wrapped in an enigma, you know? No, I don't know. (laughs) I say you know too much. That's an inside... Inside baseball. (laughs) 
it's an inside thing that just spilled over onto the podcast because for the last two weeks I've been trying to train him out of saying you know all the time, mm-hmm. which I do all the time too. And for people who have to listen to themselves through editing or if we listen back to our podcast, we're like, oh my God, we say these words so many times. And these, you, I almost said you know again, these verbal tics that we have. Mm-hmm. Every now and then we try and self-correct. So what, what, what did we used to say a lot back in the day? We, we definitely got, before the podcast, years ago, we stopped saying like so much. That right. was a big problem. Not as much. I mean, that is also our generation. Yeah, but we actively worked on stop saying that. Mm. And now I'm trying to work on us not saying you know. And now every time one of us it's says hard. it, it just drives me up the wall. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to defer editing duties to you because I just can't oh, right now. Oh, you just can't. I just can't. I can't even. Mm-mm. All right. Now, Miss Svetlana Kuznetsova is up to number seven again after reaching the semifinals this week. After feeling quite badly for her after she lost to Wozniacki in the U.S. Open, I was a little bit... Did you feel bad for her or were you mad at her? No, I was... Well, I was mad you at were Caroline. Re- and you were mad about the whole situation. I was, just, I was just not happy about the situation. But now I'm a little bit miffed that she blissed Venus so badly in Wuhan this week. You know, Venus was... Oh, another one. <laughs> Venus was the defending champ at this tournament. Uh-huh. And she was just not able to defend many points. No. She had 899 to defend. Because <laughs> you get a point for showing up. Okay. In the first round. <laughs> And so Venus is now ranked number 13 out of the top 10, unclear as to when she will return again, Mm -hmm. because she also has all those Zhuhai points to defend. Yes. Which she could, because right now she's on on track to play that tournament again, being ranked in the, I believe it is 10 to 20 range, because the top eight makes Singapore and then there are two alternates. Okay. So I think it's 11 to 20. Can the alternates play the second tier tournament? I That's what Venus did last year. Venus showed up oh, as the alternate, right. if you recall, okay. in, in Singapore. Singapore and also went on to win Zhuhai. So it's doable. Okay. Now, the other thing is that, so I guess we're assuming that she's out of contention for Singapore. Is that, is that I definite? I haven't done or? the math, but I'm thinking it's, she'd have to run the table in Beijing. Mm-hmm. And I think she's playing Hong Kong. Okay. I'm not sure that that would be enough to get her there at this point. And the other problem is that you have some of, a few players who have come out of nowhere, like Caroline, and are now putting themselves in contention for either Singapore or the, you know, the like the second level year-end tournament. Zhuhai? Is it in Zhuhai yeah. again? Okay. There's Sibokova, you know, these bubble players who are playing well right now, and Svetlana, who I will probably get into Singapore. So these players are not really doing Venus any favors because they're not folding. Wozniacki's ranked number 22, up from 74 before the U.S. Open. That's one of my favorite stats of the year. Caroline's career (laughs) looked to be in the toilet Mm -hmm. before the U.S. Open. And out of nowhere, she makes the semifinals, goes on to win Tokyo, her next timeout, and all of a sudden is number 22 in the world. This might be truly one of my very worst predictions ever. What was your prediction? Well, I I said that Wozniacki was spinning her wheels 
after firing yet another coach and going back with her father. And then she does that at the US Open. So I'm just going to stop. That's what you said on the last episode, which was recapping the US Open. Right. And then she went and did that in and Tokyo. And then, right, directly after the US Open, she goes to Japan, beats a really good draw, and beats hometown favorite Naomi Osaka in the final. The other stuff that's happened as far as strictly tennis results, Luca Pui won Mets. Big result for him, first ATP Tour title. Alexander Zverev won St. Petersburg, beating, what was it, Wawrinka in the final? Yeah. Big result. First ATP title for him as well. Still a teenager. And as you pointed out to me, big result because so few young players are able to have those type of big wins anymore. Right. I mean, there are very few active players who won titles as teenagers. The list is pretty impressive. And... To do it against the current U.S. Open champion was pretty strong stuff. It helps the case for Zverev being the real deal. I'm still waiting and seeing. Right. It just helps build a case. Yes. Okay. Not, not okay, that, gotcha. you know, he's going to win Grand Slams. He might or he might not. No, I, I wasn't even thinking that. Oh, okay. It's also worth noting that Pui beat Dominic Team in the final of Mets, who just cannot stay off the tennis court. He plays, is it possible to play like 35, 40 tournaments in a year? Because <laughs> I feel like he would do it. And he's playing doubles as well at these tournaments. Mm-hmm. One of the most ridiculous things all year was we're waiting for him in Toronto. And he's not there yet because right. he lost very early the week before, but then was stuck playing doubles right through to the final, which he lost, I believe. Yes. What was it, in Turkey? In Swiss- Maybe in Switzerland? It definitely wasn't Switzerland. I don't remember the tournament. But anyway, how does that happen? Why should that happen at that point? <laughs> the money you're making from that tournament is so small. No. You and need, insignificant. He needs to start acting like a top 10 player. Sanya Mirza and Barbara Streetseva won Cincinnati. They won Tokyo. And then they made the Wuhan final. So those are three big results from the four tournaments they've played together. Mm-hmm. Sanya's just picked up from where she left off with Martina. Yeah, absolutely. She They also... haven't won a slam together. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay, I'm not. But she's still winning. And she wants to keep a stranglehold on that number one ranking. I don't know. She told me in Cincinnati that it's not something she thinks about. Well, fair enough. I, she, I'm sure she thinks about winning a lot. So she okay. she keeps winning and yeah. you know as a byproduct there's the number one ranking it's not it's not going to anybody else that is maybe just the cherry on top for her one of our new favorites in tennis Naomi Osaka I mean big time like run everybody's in Tokyo. new favorite I'd like to think I was a favorite before <laughs> you know we have actually we have been talking about her quite a bit recently in the past year or so made the final in Tokyo lost to Caroline Wozniacki once in that in that tournament, I think she came back from 5-1 down in one set to win that set. The trouble with looking at her game and talking about her game is to get blindsided by her power. Because she has power mm-hmm. and she's able to do a lot of things. Yes. But she's also able to retrieve really well from her backhand side. That's something that really impressed me. Her net game is still on the come up. It's spotty. Okay, yeah. It could use some work. But she's nowhere near as raw as even I thought she was. Mm -hmm. She seems to not shy away from the spotlight of playing in Japan, where the pressure must be huge. Even 
even as a, a young player who's not super, super well known yet. The trouble, though, with anointing a player as the next best thing and the constant spotlight being put on them is you find yourself then in a situation where she goes on to play qualifying in Beijing and loses in the first round to Tatiana Maria, 6-2-6-1, which on paper is a mind-blasting result. Mm-hmm. But she's she's young. This is also the life of a tennis player who's ranked around 50, right? Which is where she jumped up to, I think, after the Tokyo yeah. final. Your life is qualifying for these tournaments. You can get into Grand Slams ranked like that, but a lot of these tournaments, you don't get a direct entry. So it's week in and week out playing for free sometimes. <laughs> I think a lot of people, probably including myself, were thinking she may have a bit of a letdown after losing to Madison Keys, being so close to taking out Madison at the US Open. And she really proved us wrong. And that was one of the more impressive things about her performance that week to me is how she bounced back from that loss, which could have been crushing. One of the things that we take for granted with top players who are really, really consistent on a week-to-week basis, the players who make the quarters, make the finals, Djokovic is on a whole nother level with winning damn near every time he Mm. goes out. But when you're making the semis every week, that's crazy. That type of consistency is not normal. For you, for you to be able to beat everybody but save maybe two or three players mm-hmm. guaranteed every single time, it takes a lot. It's okay. not just the tennis on the court. There's the traveling. There's the personal life. There's all these other considerations that go into being able to, to present your best self on court and score those wins. Right. And that's not something that I feel a lot of people appreciate about being on tour. And so, by extension, to expect that of a, what, 18-year-old mm-hmm. who has so little experience, hasn't done this before, whose game is still very raw, it's going to require patience. And that's something that we have to afford these young players. And keep in mind, even though we think this win might be a harbinger of immediate, sustained success, mm. it may still take years. We've seen that with Madison Keys. You're just talking about Zverev, like massive win, but he could lose to like Vinolas next time out. Right. Pretty easily. There are surface changes to take into consideration. Indoor, outdoor. In in Wuhan this week, so many players had to play indoor. All of a sudden, you're preparing for an outdoor match. And at the start of the match, commentators and everybody's talking about how it's so windy in Wuhan today. And then the clouds darken, the roof closes, and all of a sudden, it's an indoor match. Right. And then you're playing Patrick Ovedeva indoors. When you did not expect to. And nobody wants that. No. So the variables in tennis are crazy. Mm -hmm. For something completely different, Varvara Lepchenko released a statement on, you know, the rumors that were swirling about her Meldonium use. So that she had served a silent ban mm -hmm. and she refused to address it. Right. Which... I guess, is her right, and she decided to address it on her own terms now. Mm-hmm. So, the basically the very technical reason that her ban was overturned, is that the correct wording? Or a ban was never instituted? Correct. Okay. There were no sanctions. Sure. So she tested positive for meldonium in January. However, 
the drug is still detectable in the body after it's been stopped, right? So Which was she, not known by doping officials at the time. Of course, because why would they have expertise in things right? like that? This right? is something that developed in the in the months mm-hmm. in the early new year. Right. So you choose to ban a drug, but you don't really know much about it. Mm-hmm. So she did stop taking meldonium before 2016 because it was like new year's eve at 11:58. <laughs> no that's not fair because lo and behold she reads her emails apparently <laughs> she has a more professional organization than a five-time grand slam champion no shade but that that is basically the reason maria was sanctioned so dramatically mm-hmm. is because while she like lepchenko tested positive for meldonium in january she admitted to taking it at the Australian Open after the drug had been banned. And I mean, that she had popped a multitude before the Serena match, right? <laughs> there was just no arguing on Maria's part this whole business of timeline. I know. I mean, I just wonder at this point, now that Lepchenko has gotten off because she she stopped taking it in Should December. Should we even call it getting off? Well, She didn't do anything wrong. Right. Within the rules. Yeah, that was a poor choice. I'm not saying that she's guilty of something. Okay. I'm saying, could Sharapova have just lied and said, yeah, I stopped? I just don't <laughs> think that the levels, the levels don't lie. It seems oh, okay. that eventually the testing and at the the rate that she was popping those pills, mm-hmm. as she claimed, I imagine they would show up at a considerable level Okay. in the blood sample that would disprove if she tried to go mm. go that route, right? I think she was a bit naive because she thought that her honesty was going to work to her advantage. We keep hearing this week, uh, Wertheim mentioned it in his last mailbag, that her PR team are, are readying some new material okay. for public consumption regarding her status okay. in tennis. I uh, Regarding Maldonium or whatever. I don't know. But something's coming... And we also know that the the ruling from the Court of Arbitration for Sport is due any time now. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a resolution one way or the other with the Sharapova situation. You said to me mo- recently that you're convinced that it's going to be se- significantly reduced. I, I don't know if I would say convinced, but I have this feeling. I have a feeling that because they made her wait through the entire Grand Slam season, that... If things... They didn't make her wait. This is the normal timeline that these things take. Okay. From when she filed her appeal. Really? Yeah. It takes this long. It seems like it's taken a long-ass time. The thing was March. It's been what? This is now October? Right, but she tested in January. Yeah, but it came out in March. The ban was handed down. Mm -hmm. And my understanding was it takes up to like six months, which is where we are now. So... Okay. So you just have a feeling. I just don't know if the these anti-doping organizations can really justify a two-year ban when they have also made so many mistakes through this process. And from from my view, their position seems very disorganized and, and unclear. We've said this from the jump, right, from the first right. time we've talked about this issue. So what's what are you having some nostalgic feelings for maria like what (laughs) certainly the hell not but i'm not saying that the ban should be reduced but i 
I do think that it may be reduced. I think general consensus is that it'll go down to at least 18 months. Okay. As to whether it'd be 12 months, that would be generous. That seems Mm. to be the consensus as well. And I'm assuming that's what Marie will be hoping for at this point. Oh, yeah. Because she's still training. She just tweeted pictures of her in the tennis court. Mm -hmm. At that point, 12 months, she'd be able to continue training and then show up in January. Yeah, I mean, she's still going to miss the Australian like the the Middle East swing, the Doha, the mm -hmm. Dubai. Yeah, that would be very optimistic. I'm sort of, you know how she said she's taken up boxing as a way to manage her anger? I'm getting a lot of Regina George here. Remember at the end of Mean Girls when she started playing lacrosse and like seriously injuring other people? Oh my god. I, I could see that being another career. Maybe like mixed martial arts for Maria? I don't know. Russian hackers and therapeutic use exemptions. <laughs> what are they called? Like sugar bears or something? Maybe. I, I don't Isn't know. Isn't that Mama June's uh, oh boyfriend on, on Honey Boo Boo? Yes. Sugar bear, right? It is sugar bear. Yeah. Is, I'm, is that what it's called? Can you imagine like a whole army of sugar bears just in front of computers? Just stop. <laughs> or, well, uh, Donald Trump did say it was a 400-pound guy in somebody's basement. Oh my who God. is responsible for all these hacks. <laughs> yeah. So so we're really late to the party on this because we've been on a brief hiatus from the podcast. So I'm sure every other podcast has done their episode on these leaks, right? But I mean, we have some stuff to say. Sure. And we haven't listened to them. So it's not <laughs> like we'll be stealing anybody's ideas. Yeah. Sorry about that. We've been remiss in every sense. <laughs> So a few weeks ago, a bunch of players' medical documents were leaked to the press, and that includes Serena, Venus, Simone Biles. That was the first round. By press, you mean Twitter. It was literally just released Mm. on Twitter. And then the next round included Rafael Nadal. So clearly there were no Russian or Eastern European players in this big data dump. And obviously Serena and Venus are going to be the huge names out of this because they've been accused for their entire career of using performance enhancing drugs and people were so excited because they thought they were finally going to get the tea about serena and venus to explain their excellence and what do we get oh we get some prednisone that's prescribed to treat autoimmune diseases we get some cortisone shots that some everybody andre agassi got cortisone shots in his knee all the time you know nothing interesting (laughs) anything that if you had a modicum of intelligence you'd be able to sift through and realize there's nothing to see and we're clearly not medical professionals here but we're biased though we are biased we are biased of Mm -hmm. course we have a a rooting interest in serena and venus not using peds but these this was information about therapeutic use exemptions which means a doctor diagnoses you The whole point of a TUE is that you're taking these uh, drugs that would normally have you pop up as having tested positive on a regular drug test. For a banned substance. For a banned substance. But you're exempted for therapeutic uses, which means you're in recovery from some ailment. Like, you don't just break your ankle and then just, okay... (laughs) <laughs> I'm an athlete, so I can't mm. take anything. 
the point the point is that you are disclosing your use uh-huh. of the drug. Mm-hmm. You are doing the opposite of trying to hide it. Yeah. So the big you're not just taking something for 10 years and then deciding to not self-report that again. Right. So the big story here is that Serena and Venus Williams followed the rules and divulged all of the drugs they were taking under the assumption that their medical records would be kept private under U.S. law. Which, again, WADA was unable to do. Right. Protect. Could not guarantee players' privacy. Which, again, is one of the many perils of the anti-doping system and also the reason that players need a union. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, powerful players like Venus and Serena can afford lawyers. You know, maybe they don't need a union. But this is a problem with the whole anti-doping system in tennis. So Venus released a statement very quickly. She was not having it. She was angry that her private medical records had been exposed. Because one thing we know about Venus Williams is that she is a private person. Certainly. You do not know anything about Venus Williams that she don't want you to know. Mm -hmm. And also you have Simone Biles having to publicly say, I have ADHD and that's why I take this drug, which is an amphetamine, Mm -hmm. really, you know. So amphetamines could be seen as a performance enhancing drug in some situations, but she has ADHD, she's taking Adderall. So now she's had to tell the entire world, maybe she didn't want to do that, but she felt like she had to. Now, the Bethany Maddox-Sand situation is a little bit different. (laughs) Shall I? (laughs) Um, Ben Rothenberg wrote a very illuminating story for the New York Times. And what we sort of gathered from his story and the way it was written is that this has been percolating for a long time Uh in tennis circles. And we'd we'd heard murmurs of this Mm -hmm. when we were in Cincinnati. And it was one of those things that, you know, we would never say. Yeah. Well, we didn't know exactly what it was. Exactly. It was mostly rumors because we're not really in the know like that. Uh Yeah. But when this story came out, it was like, ah, that's what everything kind of makes sense now. That's what people were whispering about. Mm -hmm. And why it wasn't just a slam dunk, oh, gotcha kind mm -hmm. of thing. And Ben even said in the article that he had been, or maybe not he, but other reporters have been asking Maddox Sands for comment for the past year because Mm -hmm. this has been going on for a long time so reporters knew that something was was brewing but now it's been released because of this this leak right that she applied for some therapeutic use exemptions which were one of which was denied well they were granted and then denied (laughs) Uh, well the one for hydrocortisone was granted and Mm -hmm. that was she has this doctor named dr serrano from ohio and her home base is in arizona so this gentleman is actually known to be a doctor for bodybuilders and he he talks about fairly openly that he doesn't prescribe anabolic steroids but he helps athletes use them safely and so already this is a very strange character it reminded me so much reading it of all these baseball players uh, yep. with the whole Balco thing and Bonds and Maguire and all these strange and shady and shifty associations that while <laughs> right. there may not be anything to to really nail the person down with, like, why are you associating with these mm-hmm. people? Mm-hmm. So the big sticking point was the application for the DHEA, 
which I'm not even really sure what that does. But apparently in the bloodstream, it turns into small amounts of testosterone. And small amounts of testosterone can go a long way for female athletes and, and can certainly enhance performance. So that was rejected. And that, that was a, a little bit of a court battle about that because certain people in the know said that drug should never be sub, uh, prescribed for female athletes in any situation. So I don't know. I'm not an expert, but it was <laughs> it was interesting to see this brought to light. And it also shows maybe some of the less forthright ways in which TUEs can be used. That's a very non-litigious way of describing it. Well, I don't want to invite anything. You know, <laughs> so we probably should move on from there. Serena Williams announced that she's going to be missing the rest of the season, save for Singapore, which she still intends to play. Mm -hmm. Because in an interview prior to that announcement, she had said that she's tired of playing injured. Oh my God, I would just so love to finally play a match when, you know... I'm feeling at my best. <laughs> so when she said that, you knew that she was not going to be feeling this Asian sweat. No, no. It's really no surprise to anyone. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that she's still planning on playing Singapore. Supposedly. Uh, well, so she can start 20, 2017 a little bit closer in Angelique Kerber's <laughs> rearview mirror. <laughs> right. I would rather not start from scratch to get back this number one ranking. And then she also created news with her Facebook post detailing the fact that she will not be silent about mm. racial issues in America, specifically young black men and Black Lives Matter, because of her experience with her nephew while driving in the car. She just posted a little blurb about something she was feeling, you know, about driving with her nephew. and Because driving... a cop was nearby. Right. And she was like, well, damn, what if we get pulled over right now? Mm -hmm. And when I read it, unfortunately, I noticed that the top comment was <laughs> just, I'm sure you can guess, right? You can guess what it was. A white person, well-meaning, quote unquote, inserting herself saying, we must not allow ourselves to be drawn into this battle of races. And I just, you know, you need to stop right there because you have found yourself in a post by a black woman who's sharing her experience, not yours. You've sought it out, you've inserted yourself, and you decided to tell her, we shouldn't fight about race, we just need to love everybody. Like, you have your whiteness and the benefits of it, isn't that enough? <laughs> and that we must always be united, no matter what color we are. You know, this colorblind bullshit. Like, you, you sought this out, and you are effectively attempting to silence this woman from talking about her own experiences. How dare you? This is not your experience. This is hers. This is her damn Facebook. It made me so mad because it's this, like, this liberal platitude bullshit that really pisses me off almost more than Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter. It's, you know, we should just love everybody. Why do we have to fight? Like, open your eyes. Just stop. Speaking of All Lives Matter... <laughs> Yeah, do do we want to go there? This is not something I was expecting at all mm -hmm. in my lifetime. Uh, no. <sighs> Venus Williams, granted after her 6-2-6-2 loss to Svetlana Kuznetsova in Wuhan, after she had failed to defend her title, 
Serena's post happened shortly before that, and so she was asked about it in her press conference. And as we know, when Venus loses, her press conferences are short, curt, and to every single point except for what the reporter wants. (laughs) Sometimes they're non-existent. Exactly. And so (laughs) Venus was asked about it and she said, I haven't seen the post. I think all lives matter, so I can't really comment. (laughs) And people were like, pull up. Like, why? Why, Venus? Why? And you can make the argument that we don't know the full context. We've since seen the question. We've seen the response. I've said on previous podcasts, especially since Cincinnati being in those press conferences, that we don't always get the full gist of what's going on, Mm. having not seen it or heard it. So there could be more going on there that we can't decipher. However, All Lives Matter has come to signify something that clearly Venus is unaware of. Well, I would hope so. And I think it's important that we don't speak for her. Yes. Because I I don't know how she feels. I don't know what she meant. But All Lives Matter is deployed to attack like the very foundation of what Black Lives Matter means. because Which is that Black people are being targeted. Right. Because most of the time, people who say All Lives Matter are not that stupid that they don't get the point of Black Lives Matter. Because mm-hmm. I refuse to explain it one more time because you're being willfully ignorant. It's not that you don't get it, it's that you choose, choose not to. Right. And even more sinister, you're actively working to undercut it. Absolutely. That's that's what people are doing when they're using All Lives Matter as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Because you're not out here fighting for all lives every goddamn day. You're not... The people who, who comment on anti-racist Facebook posts, for one. The people comment on Serena Williams' posts with, we just have to love everyone. Are you out here every day working your ass off, organizing your communities, loving everybody? Is that your political orientation? No, I don't think so. It's not. You know, no, you just, you feel the need to insert yourself and silence black people. Your main goal is to muddy the waters. That's all you're doing. So that the message of Black Lives Matter becomes bungled. And the point is to shift the blame to people who are actually suffering from racial mm-hmm. discrimination. Because that's that's the racist project in a nutshell. Because you to be able to address racism, you have to confront your own racism. Mm-hmm. That's one of the more basic starting points of anti-racist work. Like you cannot mm-hmm. be working to quote unquote end or tackle racism without understanding how it works within yourself and institutionally within society systemically right and so these people haven't they literally have no use (laughs) they literally have no use to anybody other than to undercut and to stifle the movement and so i can't for the life of me believe that venus is one of those people no no so like let's get that out of the way however as dr scholes on twitter pointed out he was one of those who was really really downtrodden mm-hmm. about this development right <laughs> he pointed out that it was so striking to see somebody like venus use a trigger word like that mm-hmm. to black people because that's what it is yes it's not just we've lost the meaning of words or 
that all lives matter represents something that we don't agree with. Mm-hmm. It's actually something that hurts people. Right. And it's used in that way, intentionally. Yes. And so I I choose to believe that Venus was hoping to get out of there quickly. Mm-hmm. She was trying to just not have to deal with an issue that requires, quite frankly, an expansive response or more thinking than one would want to give after ha- having <laughs> just lost 6262 in uh, that kind of situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say it's an unfair question because it's a legitimate question and timely and it's unfair of Venus being a prominent black athlete to, and also the sister of Serena Williams. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry that Serena didn't give you a phone call to say, hey, <laughs> you may be getting asked about this because I just right. posted it. Because, you know, Venus is not on socials. She's not on social media checking no. things. No. I'm flying and flailing all over the place trying to defend Venus here. <laughs> I just get the sense that she doesn't understand what the full extent of what it means. Okay. That's what I choose to believe. What do you think? Well, I think that's that, really. We can't ascribe any more meaning to Venus than what she's given us. I I don't know how she feels. Uh, I'm sure that she... But what was your reaction to it? Well, my reaction was like, oh, God. You know, it was just, God, let this... I was hoping it was a misprint or something. Yeah. And I'm sure she knows that she is a really important black woman to a lot of people around the world. You know, she she's an important figure just by being her. Maybe it's also a lesson that we can't expect all prominent black people in these roles to be the voice for everybody. No. When it comes to every social issue. It's not fair to expect that. No. And certainly not in those circumstances. <laughs> no. No, no. Uh, so, moving on. Moving on. The to last the- order of business... Mr. Steve Simon, or Mr. Steve Simon, (laughs) (laughs) who is the WTA CEO, head bitch in charge Mm -hmm. of the WTA, has has thoughts of revolutionizing the woman's game. Oh, my Lord. He dropped this bombshell to reporters in Wuhan that he's really committed to shortening the format of women's tennis matches. And he thinks... That, you know, viewership and attendance has suffered a lot for women because the matches are too long. I kid you not. And he thinks that the broadcast model is just not helping women's tennis, which is true. That they don't have very good contracts. They don't. But... (laughs) People aren't watching women's tennis because people are conditioned to think of women's tennis as inferior, as Mm -hmm. an inferior product. Right. So People are bringing their biases to watching tennis. The lay folk who don't get it. Like, that's not something that's going to be changed by turning women's tennis into a gimmick. Or turning it into an inferior product. Yeah. He's citing the the changes with doubles using the super tiebreak as a good thing. No. False. For for doubles, (laughs) sure. Maybe. Yes. Whoops. For doubles, I will concede that that was probably a really good thing. Nobody has time for a big, long, drawn-out doubles match. Like, nobody's here for that. (laughs) But as... That's not fair. Some people are here for that. Some people are here for enough good quality doubles okay. tennis. Okay. But it's not the main draw. Hey, Caitlin. <laughs> it's not the main draw of tennis. It just isn't. That's a fact okay. of life. You can love doubles. You can watch doubles. We watch it. It's fun to watch live mm-hmm. at tennis tournaments, but that's not what drives tennis. 
but he's super serious about starting this conversation and he wants real changes to be made in women's tennis and to well to basically all of tennis twitter they were shocked and horrified and i'm definitely one of those and a lot of cricket fans actually chimed in and you can speak to this because cricket went from test matches that were but it's it's totally different it is it's totally different because mm. test cricket is still intact Yes. And they're still finding ways to revamp Test Cricket to make it sustainable and and thrive and grow it in the shadow of T20 Cricket now. Cricket created a monster. T20 Cricket is so profitable and Cricket is driven so much by the Indian market that Test Cricket is struggling now. But it still exists. Right. In the way it has always existed. Save for series being shorter. Unless you're Australian, England other teams are not playing five test series mm-hmm. or touring another country for three months. Uh, the game is different and cricket kind of exacerbated that problem for test cricket by creating T20 because of this whole business of driving viewership up mm-hmm. and getting more money into the game, getting people more interested into the game. This fucking North American market bullshit. <laughs> Right. I'm so sorry, Cricket. You're just not going to break into North America. Like, it's just not happening. You're going to break into Brampton, Ontario, definitely. <laughs> like, you're there. In the east end of Toronto, yeah. You got 100,000 people probably watching Cricket. But, but fine. Like, Cricket is not... It's not a North American sport. Mm-hmm. Fine. It's still making a shitload of money for the countries that have the power. India, Australia's making a lot of money. England's making a lot of money. Okay. Would you say that test matches are still, like, the most prestigious form of cricket? For sure. Okay. But cricket And the Ashes is, is a test match. The, the struggle for cricket in and test cricket is that there's, there's never been, like, a, a Grand Slam system. Mm-hmm. There are test rankings where teams are ranked, but you don't have that immediate gratification of knowing in this moment that this team has beaten all other comers in Test Cricket. Because Test Cricket, one match can take over five days. So you're not going to have a tournament over the span of three months to have all these players Mm -hmm. and teams play each other. That's just not the way it works. Right. And so the comparison between tennis and cricket cannot be made. It just can't. No. And remember that the shortest form of cricket, uh, 2020, is still like four hours long. It's three hours. It's almost exactly three to three and a half hours. Okay. It's still long. It's long. If this argument were being made about men's tennis, I could understand. I just, uh, I just don't understand why this is being done to, or trying to be done to women's tennis. It to me, it it honestly is such a cockamamie idea that it feels like Steve Simon is like a sleeper cell brought in to undermine women's tennis. You know, so you want to He's the Brody, <laughs> the oh. homeland Brody, <laughs> yes. The double agent. No, but women's tennis is getting hit on all sides by, you know, they shouldn't be paid as much because they don't play as much. So now you want to even reduce the time they're on court to try to make some money because you think broadcast is is hurting because they're playing too long. Because a, a women's match lasts, what, like 75 minutes? It's, you know, some of them are still quite short. It's just, it's ridiculous to me. Svetlana Kuznetsova was interviewed for that article on Sport 360 and said, well, first of all, that men's five-set matches are way too long for her. And also that since doubles instituted the tie breaks, a lot more 
luck has come into play in the results of matches. And so I don't want to see that in women's And we tennis. don't need to be painting this deuce-ed system as a negative. It's not. No. Like when you have a Why? long 10-deuce game, there's so much drama. Not in, like, a catfight drama, but calm, story-building, narrative drama. Mm-hmm. That you can just sit there in silence and just sop it up like a biscuit. <laughs> and... I'm just tired of these sports being driven by money. Well, that's a little naive, don't you think? It is. But it's to the detriment of the fans and the people who really enjoy Mm -hmm. the game. Because once you draw those people in, what's next? It's This is what capitalism does. It has to feed itself over Mm -hmm. and over and over again. So what's next? Well, basically, we always have to be in growth. Yeah. You know, see what 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 happens when that becomes stagnant. Yeah. Like, do we do we know what's the the qualitative research to tell us that something is broken with women's tennis? I don't know. Like, for me, if money and TV is the biggest issue here, I that's not enough for me. No, but I also think, say, say you're worried about when your big stars are retiring. Well, well Sharapova is out right now, and Serena and Venus are getting on in years. If you're worried about what women's tennis is going to look like after that, is shortening the matches the solution? That's It's just outrageous to me that you think that that's going to address the problems with women's tennis exposure around the world. It's not the answer. And I'm going to beat this drum until the day I die. A player's union could effectively mount a campaign against this because I cannot imagine that the players are in favor But at this point, players do not have a collective voice to counter these these unilateral decisions. Mr. Simon is going to get together with his buddies in Indian Wells and all across (laughs) the tennis calendar, these tournament bigwigs, and they're going to make these decisions Mm -hmm. in cohorts with the ESPN bigwigs. Like all these white men are going to be making all these decisions about the future and direction of women's Mm. tennis. I mean, the WTA is beholden to sponsors who pay their bills and tournament directors but the players do not have a strong collective voice in this in this system and so i know i sound like a broken record and the impetus has to come from players obviously that's how unions are created but something's got to change here episode 56 is a wrap guaranteed unless something really shocking happens please let this maria ruling not happen like two days from now and have it be like epic. <laughs> As I said, we should no longer say epic. <laughs> oh, okay. Have it be something crazy that we have to come back to here. Mm-hmm. My point in saying this, the TV episode is next. It's next. So tennis it's, needs to just chill for a minute. It's gestating. It's so ready for birth. I know it's been gestating like an elephant fetus, you know? You know they're pregnant for like a decade. <laughs> Give us a review on iTunes. The podcast is at the Body Serve on Twitter. We just had International Podcast Day mm-hmm. this week. Big up to all the other tennis podcasts doing big things. As I tweeted earlier this week, we did not expect to still be around. And we're happy to still be around Mm -hmm. and have people who listen to us. And so we thank you. 
this is or appreciation of you for keeping this podcast around. On Twitter, I'm Jonathan at SportsCribeCA. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. Till next time. <laughs>